Hello and welcome to Double Reel, the monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. My name's James Adamson and I'm a film nerd with a geeky love of film and obscure stories from the world of cinema and a lot of opinions. Joining me on the podcast, as always, is my co-host, also called James Adamson. Welcome, James. Hello, thank you for that lovely introduction. It's good to be back. So this is a special episode of uh, Double Reel. Uh, first, I'd like to apologise for the fact that I'm shaking off a cold, so I'm not going to sound quite as good or, say, mediocre as I normally do. Apologies for that. But uh, leaving that aside, uh, what I wanted to do was to welcome a special guest to this episode. We've uh, we've got Primetime Mitch, or Mitch Cassidy from Primetime Mitch, here to talk about his new uh, film channel on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, welcome, Mitch. Thanks for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Very good. So, Mitch, um, you reached out to talk about your uh, your channel, which I think is quite new. It's uh, got like a couple of posts now. Um, tell me about your channel, uh, what, what it's for, and, and what you're going to be doing with it. Well, it's something I've always wanted to do. I've um, a great love of film, and I just wanted to, to get that out there. Uh, I've got like a couple of other channels that are very sort of in one area in in England where they would be popular. I wanted to do something a bit more worldly. Um, And I've a lot of of opinions I wanted to share. So uh, I've I've seen a lot of reaction videos and review channels and it was something I wanted to to have a go at. Um, So it's been a few months in the making. Um, I'm looking to go across all genres, not just ones I favourite. I'm I'm a little bit leaning towards... I'm quite a horror buff, really, but I wanted to do everything on the you know have a bit of everything so it's a lot a lot of time in the making a lot of time a lot of planning but it's finally off the road and i'm uh, i'm enjoying it very good so um what um what, what's it pitched at you describe it as being the film channel for the average movie watcher on your on your little intro um mm-hmm. what, what what does that mean what what's your what's your idea of the average movie watcher i think um well for my research i've looked at a lot of the existing channels and you can clearly tell they're very, very knowledgeable. Um, and obviously there's a lot of like film students and things like that. I never, I'm, I'm sort of a bit longer in the tooth and uh, I, I never went down that. I, I didn't go down that route initially. So I'm, I feel like I'm a casual enjoyer of movies, but at the same time, um, I know enough about them to talk about them. So it's kind of, I'm not, an absolute expert but i'd like to think that my stuff can be related to by everybody yeah so are you looking to introduce films people haven't seen before or connect with people about films they've seen and kind of you know generate thoughts and discussions what you uh what are you, what are you trying to give people I think you just hit the nail on the head there i do there is a lot of movies i really enjoy that never seem to get spoken about um and a lot of people when i talk about them haven't seen them a lot of like uh british independent movies things like that i do also want to i'm looking to do reviews on fan movies as well just to get them a bit of uh just to get them noticed really um just hidden gems is going to be one of the uh one of my categories that i have so it's, oh, I, I like too, to yeah. do yeah, I love things like that. I think there's a lot of great movies out there that never really get spoken about, so I'd like to highlight some of those. Yeah, we, we sort of do that as well. I mean, our, our podcast is kind of, we talk about it being the monthly magazine podcast because our format is kind of like, 
I know people probably still do buy them and they certainly do stuff online. Things like Total Film and Empire, the monthly magazine that has, you mm-hmm. know, a few letters, pages, news, and then, you know, reviews of the latest films and a bunch of articles and features. That's what we do. But we're definitely all about... I did this sort of rallying cry, which which, uh, which James said it was like a battle cry for us to go out and start fighting, to just sort of... <laughs> I was sick of the algorithm just going... What, what was it the inspiration was? Because you watch Tenet, you might want to watch Inception. Mm. And it's like, in what world, right, do people who've seen Tenet not already know about Inception? It's bollocks. So we just thought... Yeah. The, the idea is we're not... We're like average movie fans as well. I'm probably more nerdy than the average movie fan, but we're still... <laughs> We're not professional film critics. We have jobs and lives. So we don't go to every festival and watch every film. We fit in movie watching when we can. We select the films we want to see like everybody else. But when I was sort of thinking about what, what to do, it was like, I've got a list of films I never got around to seeing because sometimes you go, well, I've got limited time. Should I watch that thing? When When's the right time to watch it? Also, Hidden Gems, like you, it's like, why has no one heard about this film? Why does no one talk about this film? And the same thing. So we talk about, you know, the films like that, that we, and that we're interested in. I think our philosophy is, um, it, you know, the best thing you can do is recommend a film to someone and, and they just go and watch it, even if they don't like it, you know? And, and the other yeah. way around, if someone says, I like this film, it's really good, what you should do is just watch that movie. You might not like it. You might go, oh, that's really not for me. But you've just probably seen an actor, a director, or an idea or a story that you wouldn't otherwise have seen instead of the same 12 things that keep getting pushed at you by, you know, some, some you know, algorithm somewhere. Yeah, it's more like the it's the awareness, really. It doesn't, doesn't, I'm not saying, you know, this is, this is fantastic and if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. It's just knowing it's there to yeah, me yeah. is important. Yeah. I mean, James, your, your movie watching has been sort of... Uh, it probably changed a little bit over the last couple of years because of like life and you know getting a house and getting dogs and stuff. But what would you what are you what are you looking for when someone's kind of talking about kind of films and you know and what what, what to watch next? What, what's your view on it, mate? I think I like it when someone's reviewed a film and it's just their honest opinion. I think a good example of the way films and television more so is that the paid reviewers can have their opinion swayed in certain ways. So the clearest examples emily in paris i know it's a tv show but they paid all the reviewers to go to paris to like kind of view the set and what they were doing and it got absolutely golden reviews and then i watched an episode and it was utter dog shit so i think there's there's something to be said about folk like us who just say look i watched this film this month i thought it was this i thought it was that you might like it you might not stick it on i think that's the best way to kind of get the word of mouth of films about because modern modern reviewers are just they've kind of got an agenda you know um mm. I, and i think that it swings both ways i'm finding recently that with like the films that are getting nominated for oscars i'm not really interested in them i wasn't too keen on everything everywhere all at once but it's nice to see films like that getting the praise they deserve because to think back about maybe eight to ten years ago that film would be nowhere near the oscars whereas now these kind of films are kind of getting the praise and recognition they deserve. So that's what I like. I like people just giving honest reviews of the things that they like or didn't like. Yeah, and, and that's why when we're talking about the the films that we feature on our podcast and also the, um, you know, we do letterbox lists after the pods come out, we always like to say, look, this film is by people who did these films or it's like that film or if you like that film, you might like this film. Because the the best thing I can think of is that we've got a list of like 60 films coming off our last episode. And someone might just listen to the pod or look through them and go, oh, right, I've not heard of that. I might give that a watch. And I might give that a watch followed by watching it. It's just the best thing as far as we're concerned. 
are you um you you, you say you're doing like watch alongs and tier lists and stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. What's your um what what have you got planned going forward? What's uh, what what sort of films are you? I mean, don't not to give anything away, no spoilers. But what what sort? What do you want to tease your audience or our audience with what might be coming up? Well, funnily enough, we spoke about the um, the hidden gems and so I think I'd, I'd like to do a tier list of sort of un, uh, not, not spoken about movies, underrated yeah. movies. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I'm I'm sort of at the moment it's. I did have a, like a clear path of what I wanted to do, but I thought I would rather do it as I go along. So like one week I'm going to go, do you know what? I want to review that movie and and then I do it. Yeah. Because I think if I have a rigid schedule, I'll take the fun out of it a little. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I kind of, I really want to be able to just sort of it be a journey for me as well. Yeah. So you, what, what are the first, I mean, I, I know this, but for the, for the benefit of the audience, what are the films you've done so far on the uh, on your channel so far? Well, I always wanted. I said if I did this channel, I would start with A Nightmare on Elm Street because it's one of my favourite uh, movies. It is my favourite horror movie. Um, so I stuck with that one. That's the one I wanted to start with, and uh, then I followed that up with a tier list of the the Final Destination films. It was just to, it was it hit the ground running really with uh, something. Obviously, further down the line, I want to explore the lesser known ones, but that was sort of my my lift off. Yeah. Yeah, James you're, James, you're not much of a horror guy, are you? You're not a big fan of having the pants scared off you. No, I just don't like it. <laughs> um, I think, it's not to say I've not watched good horror films, but I do get quite clammy and anxious when I watch those films, and I'm kind of glad when they're, they're finished. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we went to see Get Out, and in all honesty, we, we, the main reason we went to see it was because it was your sister's turn to choose the film, and she's like a big horror fan, and she said, I want to go and see Get Out. And I'd heard of Jordan Peele from his TV show. I didn't know he was into horror. And off we went to watch Get Out. And I remember I'm sitting, there's like, there was about five of us, because I think your granny and granny came up as well. There's like five of us in a row to watch this, and you're sitting next to me. And there's various like really horror themed trailers, and I could just feel you getting itchy in your seat. <laughs> yeah, well, wasn't, you, um, it wasn't, wasn't a good time to start with, but it got better as the film went on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's horror, but it's a lot of other things as well. So, yeah. so Mitch, I'm 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 going to take a punt here and say that you weren't old enough to see Nightmare on Elm Street when it first came out. No, I was minus one. All right. <laughs> um, so, in what context did you see it? Your first horror film you saw? Absolutely bizarre, but um, it was 1994. I was having a a, a falling out, a row with my friend. And I don't know why. I think we'd he'd beat me on a computer game or something, and we we got into <laughs> got into a big argument over it. And his sister was uh, at the time his older sister, who never cared whether we rowed or not before. But some, this one really sort of upset her a little, and she was like, "You your friends, you two, you shouldn't be doing this." He said, "I'll tell you what." Um, my mum and dad are out. Why don't you come upstairs? I'm watching. I'm about to watch this film. Uh, this horror film and uh, she'll never know you can come and watch it with me and it's sort of she she was peacemaker through this horror film and um it had just come out and it had gone on to sky movies i don't think it had, had too much time in the cinemas over here but it had gone out and it was wes craven's new nightmare it was the oh, right. uh the meta reboot and oh, right so you're watching a film that's got all of these references not just to the old yeah. Amsterdam films you haven't seen but the cultural impact of those films before you've seen any of that yourself right yeah and i hate the fact that i did it that way 
round, but um, it, it is what it is. And uh, I loved it, and I was fascinated by the character of Freddy. And so I went back, and uh, back then, obviously, there was no YouTube or the internet or anything. So I was looking through the TV listings at the late night showings on Sky Movies, and I found um, the, the sequel, the second film. So I take that, unbeknownst to my parents, and then uh, I watched that, and I loved that. And then, then I went back and watched the first one. A lot of people uh, don't like yeah. that second one. <laughs> it's I mean, it's detached a little. Would you do you think you'd have liked it as much if you'd seen it after the first one? I that's a really good question. I actually think I probably wouldn't at the time because I'm very big on um referring to the the films before, you know, respecting the the movie that came before it and I think that one went off on it, on itself. It just disappeared away and did its own thing. Now I look at it now I've seen it a few times. I appreciate certain elements of it more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I wouldn't have I wouldn't have then, but I do now. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely of a generation that like ended up watching these films at what is meant, you know, really a very inappropriate age. I, the first time I saw the <laughs> film Alien, I was eleven. Yes, uh, that's a and, good age to start. <laughs> and I saw Jaws when I was seven, and that just scarred me. Yeah. James, what's your, what's your background with? I mean, I, I I don't remember like letting you watch like horror films when you were a kid, but that doesn't mean you you didn't go and see them with your mates and stuff. What's the earliest you watched a horror film? I don't know. I think I was quite sensible. I think the first horror film that I saw that I was of an age to watch was A Woman in Black, and I think that was a twelve, and I was maybe thirteen. Um, yeah, but I don't distinctly remember you or Mum putting on horror films and me watching them. I do remember being told that you had South Park on when I was about 18 months old. <laughs> yeah. And my mum didn't bat an eyelid because she just saw cartoons and then heard the language and thought, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think I was ever that irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was definitely, there was some sort of generational change because I mean, I'm a bit older than you, Mitch, otherwise I wouldn't have a, a, a son in his twenties here, but I, my, my, <sighs> my parents, like most everyone I know my age went, you know, I saw Jules when I was in certain inappropriate age here. And, but, and, and there seems to be like a bit of a generational difference, but I mean, you, you will have watched sort of horror films and stuff from the age of 10 when you suddenly started getting into it. I mean, how much did they scare you back then? It was more a fascination. Yeah. I, I didn't ever feel a, a great amount of fear so much. It, it was the the one that really frightened me and the one that still scares me to this day. And I think it's the greatest one ever made is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. That really that that struck a nerve with me, and I, and I didn't sleep well when I watched that, and I'd never felt that before, so that was something new. But for the majority of the the movies through the years, the eighties, I mean, you're going back really far as well. If you want to go back to sort of Night of the Hunter in the fifties and so, things like that, just fascinated me, and I, and I was sort of drawn in by it. I was never really terrified. It takes a lot really to to hit that nerve with me. I remember being very easily scared when I was, I mean, Alien just terrified me. I mean, my my mum and, yeah. and dad's house, which they only recently moved out of, it's quite sort of shadowy. It's like on three levels and you would go down the stairs and there's this whole kind of dark bit where the coats and the shoes go that you have to walk past to get from the stairs to the kitchen. And uh, I did not like going down that bit like the day after, the night after I watched Alien. It's like, fucking, I was really kind of, you know, because you know the alien sort of is really good at lurking in any sort of dark sort of yeah. clammy space. 
But I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to get to go and see a, a showing of the Alien in sort of rep cinema uh, d- down here in, in in London, and it might be that I've seen that film like hundreds of times now. So when I actually went to see it in the cinema, it was like I, I just wonder if maybe I'm not as scared as I used to be. The big the biggest scare on the day that made everybody jump was the bit you've seen Alien, right? Yes, was yes. the bit where um, they it's it's a, after after John Hurt's come back off the ship. Um, mm-hmm. And after the facehugger's kind of fallen off him, and they go, "Now where is it?" And they go into the quarantine area, and and the skin of the dead facehugger falls and lands on somebody, <laughs> and yeah. the whole the whole like <laughs> cinema went up. Um, but I just you know, and but I I watched the Evil Dead recently, and I wasn't. I remember the first time I watched that, I threw a beer all over myself. At one of the jump scares, it just completely freaked me out. And this time, I remember the same jump scare, and I jumped a bit, but not as much. And I don't know if that's an age thing, but um, what, what about? I mean, James and I, we went to see Get Out at the cinema. We did you go and see Zombieland at the cinema, James? You didn't. You only saw it on video, didn't you? I think I was just too young to go and see. That's it right. Time. Yeah, but I mean, what 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 do the two of you think is the difference between watching horror movies at home and in the cinema? Because I I think I've watched a lot more horror movies at home. Than up on the big screen. What 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 would you say the difference is, Mitch? I think because in the cinema you can immerse yourself in it because of the sheer size of the screen and the sound. Um, you can get lost in it a little better. But every time, for example, if I want to watch a horror film at home, I will make sure that the surroundings um, are <laughs> that they suit the movie. So yeah. I, I think the first time I watched Halloween when I was younger, I said, well, if, I want, if I'm going to watch this movie, I want to do it properly. So I, I opened a window and I turned off all the lights and um, I, I sort of, I, I gave myself that vulnerability before I watched it. So you can create that at home. Um, I think in the cinema, you sort of almost get lost in the screen. It's so big and there's some, the sounds surrounding you. So I think it's, you can do it y- yourself. You can make that, atmosphere how you want it to be and, and in some ways when you watch a, a, a horror movie at home especially something like halloween which is all about you think you're safe sitting at home on your sofa but you're not that mm-hmm. might, that might be scarier at home than in the cinema right because you, you however much you're immersed in the screen you walk out and it's big and shiny there's popcorn yeah. on the floor there's a big like cardboard <laughs> cut out of iron man on the way out where you know whereas if you if you've just watched a film about like something terrifying being outside your window and then you've got to go and close the curtains after you've turned off the the, yeah. the telly that might actually be more more effective the the, the most creepy sort of post cinema thing i've had from a horror film is i went to see Zombieland at the cinema and i went at a really really late showing it was after midnight when it finished and obviously Zombieland is about the world essentially being empty because that most people have been killed by zombies yeah. and you know always check the back seat of the car and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and when i came out of the cinema it was quite a long walk to the car park and my car was literally the only car left in the car park <laughs> and was there a fog it it, it, it what well, not exactly a fog but the way the lights worked is i really couldn't see the back seat of the car without opening the door um, and I remember that felt a little bit creepy, like getting into a car just after watching Zombieland like that. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. So, I mean, what, what are your general film watching habits? Are you a big cinema goer? Yeah, so um, I used to go on my own an awful lot. 
because um, it was just a nice escape. I think that about movies in general, but it was certainly, it was a nice just way to shut everything out for a, for an hour and a half or something. So I used to do that a lot. Um, I, I had a bit of a, a gap where I, I didn't, I don't know, really know why. I think life just got in the way, but um, my partner and I like to go and see retro showings at our, our local cinema. They, we just watched, um, we watched Jaws and Jurassic Park recently there and The Shining. So yeah, they're they're doing that a lot now. So it, we make a habit of going as yeah. soon as the. Uh, you're you're yeah. up in like Bury, just outside Manchester, right? What what local cinema is that that's doing all these like old old movies? Uh, it's at the um, the Rock, the Rock. Uh, complex. Yeah, uh, there's a cinema on the top oh, floor, really? and yeah, they're, they're pretty regular with uh, with rescreening things. Yeah, the, the best the best sort of place like that for me is the Prince Charles Cinema, which has been like an old friend of mine for like thirty odd years now in London. It's a little bit of a longer journey for me now, but I mean, I remember in the early '90s you couldn't see The Exorcist on uh, on video, and they wouldn't yeah. show it on TV. The only place you could go and see it was at the Prince Charles Cinema on a midnight show on a on a Friday night. Oh, midnight would be good for that. Yeah, so I, I've actually with... watched it at midnight at a cinema before. Yeah, yeah, and so the the only the only way to get home after that is the London night bus. <laughs> uh, and I've always said, sorry, James, I'm going to bore you with this witticism again, but I've always said The Exorcist is a scary film, but it wasn't as scary as The Night Bus Home that night. <laughs> um, so, James, how have your movie watching habits changed over the last few years? Because you've had a few sort of life changes lately, and I know it's kind of um, changed the way you watch films. What what is what is watching new films or going out to see films look like for you these days, mate? Um, yeah, I think... More than anything, it's more of a kind of financial thing. So obviously we've got two dogs now, a mortgage, a wedding to try and save up for. So if I'm going to the cinema, and cinema's not cheap nowadays, it's it's getting kind of ridiculous. We try and make it like a big thing, a film mm. that both of us want to go and see. And my partner, she's not a big film watcher. She's very much into TV shows. She'll watch nine episodes of a, of a reality show and not fall asleep at all, but she'll get three minutes into the trailers of a film and fall asleep. <laughs> So it's it's got to be like a kind of big event um, for us to go and see the film. But in Glasgow, we're, we're lucky we've got Cineworld VIP. So I don't know if you two know about that or have heard of it. Yeah, sort of. I don't think I've ever yeah, used it. Yeah, vaguely. So it's like, a, basically it sorts out your entire date night. So for about £32 a head, you get a buffet an hour before the film, unlimited snacks, drinks, a recliner, um, a nice big comfy seat. And it just kind of sorts out your date night as opposed to having to go to like a restaurant before and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of suits us. Um, And that's uh, in the city world in in town. So that's quite good. Um, So that's that's how we try and watch the films when we can. Um, But mostly it is just waiting for the release on on, um, like Amazon Prime Video or things like that and watching it then. Um, Which is quite good because I think Films are coming out much faster than they used to. I yeah. remember back in the day, it would come out in mm. the January and it would come out in October on DVD. Whereas it's um, yeah, well, I remember, I remember it being literally years, years and years and years. It was about five years before Star Wars got shown on TV for the first time. Well, that that new Barbie film that was out in July and it was ready to kind of stream. I think at the beginning of September there. Yeah, that's sort of turn around like that, six weeks, isn't it? That's like a new, like a new phase, isn't it? You have paid video on demand, like it's in the cinema, and then when it first comes to streaming, you have to pay to watch it, um, and then it starts to go on a, on a service somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, and I actually quite like that. I think it's good. 
um, for people don't go, don't get to go to the cinema and they've got busy lives and all that kind of thing and they can just catch it in the comfort of their own home and that's probably not good for a guy that what is a co-host of a film podcast but um, no but but the, the whole point is that you know movie watching is something like I mean look I, I listen to like you know Kermode and Mayo and there's a really good um you I, I don't if, I don't know if you already listen to it Mitch but but you, I think you like it it's the Final Girls podcast with Anna Bogatskaya. Oh, I've um, I've subscribed to it. I've just not had chance yet. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone sort of Patreon only now. But I think for a big horror fan, it is worth it. But they they go through it. But she's a professional film reviewer. Obviously, Kermode is. There's a, an American podcast called The Big Picture, and you know they go to the Venice Film Festival and watch all the films. Well, well good for you, mate. But I've I've got a couple of week. I've got a couple of evenings <laughs> this month to go and see a movie. And I think there's something Alfred Hitchcock said is that a movie's not just got to be worth the price of admission, it's got to be worth the dinner and the babysitter as well. Yeah, and and, that. and that, that can make things go a bit too mainstream and a bit too safe. But I think it is important to note that when people go and see a movie, it, it is a bit of a decision. You know, what what am I going to go and see? Because this is if this is my only evening out, I want to make the most of it, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I try and go to the cinema as much as I can. I mean, not least because, you know, I need to have something to talk about on the pod, right? <laughs> Um, you know, we it's it's interesting because we do you know it's just a bit of fun really, but we do a, an annual award ceremony where we give out awards for what we think were the best film director and all that kind of thing, and I, and I added it up and I went I actually managed to see like like thirty five new films last year, and and that's actually quite hard to do you know all new films yeah like films that came out in twenty twenty two I thought well I need to watch wow. I need to watch a few of them in order to give the awards out. It's a bit self-selecting, right? Because if you see a film come out and you go, well, that's crap, I don't want to go and see that, it's probably not going to make your awards list anyway. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But still, it's quite hard to watch like a lot of films in, in, in a given year, you know? So, I mean, it does mean that some weeks I look at the cinema listings and go, I'm not sure if there's anything I really, really want to see, but I've got an evening, so I'm going to go and see something. And you do get some nice surprises. You know, there was, uh, you know, the... Again, Martin Scorsese is turning a little bit into an old man shouting at the, out at why you know at new things a little bit these days. But he did he did point out that there was a time where people would just go and see a new film because it was out, and yeah. and I, I think you miss out if you don't try that. And again, that's off that's our philosophy. And I think I think you're the same with with your hidden gems. I think it'd be, it'd be nice to compare notes. I might do a letterbox list of all our hidden gems, Mitch, and send it to you. So yeah, these are all our, all our recommendations, which is not to say that's what you should do, but I think it's nice. What 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 I really want to happen on our podcast is someone have a listen and go, oh, I've not seen that. I'm going to give that a watch. I and, think now you coolest... almost... Sorry, go ahead, mate. I was just going to say, I think now it's almost like um, you, you have to... Uh, somebody has to sort of convince you why you should see something rather than yeah. just go in and enjoying it you know yeah i mean there, are, there are reasons for that i mean I, I was i was talking about a new film that came out last month called scrapper which i which i ended up really enjoying but you'll have seen films like this i bet you have you will you will have as well james on the poster it had like a, a logo or a leaf logo from some film festival where it had won an award and then like tons and tons of this is the best film i've seen all year lots and lots and lots of like critics reviews saying how great it is and part of me went I bet it's one of those films, you know, where they, where the, the critics have all kind of gone absolutely overboard on it, and you just think that's going to be a complete case of the Emperor's New Clothes, you know. Is and that like, the coming of age one? Not sort of coming of age a little bit. It's about twelve-year-old girl whose mum's just passed away, and she lives on an estate in uh, right, yeah. class London, and her, her, she's basically living on her own, 
um, because she doesn't want to get taken into care. And she's basically scamming the social services. She's stealing bikes oh, and selling them like to make money. And um, she's a bit of a ducker and a diver. And her estranged father comes in, who was a, a teenager himself when she was born. And now he's realized he's asked to come and take care of her. And it was just, it was just actually a really refreshing change from the usual kind of gritty social realism. It was just like, it was a nice film about real people. Yeah. And and I understand. I understand that there's, there's, there's dozens of films that have come out where I've looked at it and gone, no. Just the very fact that the critics have all kind of called, you know, searched through the thesaurus for new, like, superlative, like, you know, words they can give to it, maybe go, I'm, I'm going to hate that. But just, I said, I'm sick of all this this year's blockbusters. They've all been, to, well, most of them have been totally dull. I'm going to watch something mm. different. And that's the best thing. It's like, the best thing you can do is say, not even, it's not even an argument to persuade other people to watch the film. It's a, a human being who loves films and loves this film saying why they love it, you know? I love this film because it reminded me of these films. If you like that film, you like this. You're not even trying to persuade anyone you watched it. I would much rather hear about 20 form recommendations from someone who genuinely loved that movie for a really kind of like personal reason. You just go, that's great. That sounds like a, a great list of films to watch. It's like the best pub conversation, isn't it? Where you say, yeah. oh, and, and you're not trying to one-up each other. You're not trying to say how cool you are for having seen a film that no one else has seen. You're just saying, mm. you've just described a film that you really love. I bet you'd love this film. And then, there should be no fashionable movies. Absolutely. And the thing is, if three weeks later that person says, you know that film you recommended, I watched it and it was really good. Isn't that like a fucking nice feeling? Oh, not, it is, yeah. not, not to big yourself up, but just to say, that's really cool. Now two people have seen and loved that movie, you know? Oh, I'll certainly be watching that now you've told me. I like those kind of movies as well. I'm, yeah. I'm into real, real dramas and things as well. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all relatively sort of minor, but I think what was nice about it, it was it was written and directed by someone who grew up on an estate like that. So mm -hmm. it's not some like middle class social realist come to shed some tears over the poor people. It's just like yeah. this is what our lives are like, and it's got ups and downs, and you know, moments of like you know, quite funny times, you know. People, people forget that like Only Fools and Horses was about people on a really sort of rough yeah, area of London. But it was, you know, everybody's life has the funny side and the cool side and the and the unpleasant side, and it's nice to see something just real like that. Yeah, but, well, a lot of the hidden gems I've I've sort of got in the the works in my head are British kitchen sink dramas. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I'm not brilliant at that. I think I think I grew up at a time when American culture just seemed cooler than ours. And I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I am habitually, you know, five Americans rob a bank, I'm there. Do you know what I mean? Five, yeah. Brit five British people talk about their lives, I'm not. So I'll probably be looking at your hidden gems list to kind of, uh, you know, for things I should be watching probably. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> um, so I thought what would be nice now... Um, you can um, first of all, Mitch, tell people what the address, name, or location is of your YouTube and Facebook feeds, so that our, our lovely audience can go and find them. They've probably already found them; they're, they're quite savvy. But re re read out your addresses anyway of, of where you can be like watched and listened to, and uh, just so that we can uh, tell people where you are. Well, I'm pretty much I'm on everything now. Uh, I don't. Uh, I've had to adapt. Um, you just obviously just. Primetime Mitch, um, I have the tagline film chatter just to sort of um, gloss it a bit, but um, usually st straight type of primetime Mitch, primetime all one word followed by Mitch um, should direct you straight to my TikTok, my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook and my YouTube channel. 
that is pretty much as straightforward. I think uh, I've, I've, I'm in the process of creating more personalized links so they're a little easier. Um, but I have done a sort of test on typing the actual name in and it does it does come up with with the pages. Yeah, very good. I mean, I've been looking at your stuff on Facebook and I did notice that on your, yeah, the best way to find you on YouTube, because I searched for your YouTube link today, is if you actually type in all one word, PT Mitch Cassidy. That's oh, is that what works at the moment? Yeah, because there's a lot of primetime Mitch, oh, of course like, like is, American yeah. guys talking about um, sort of uh, obscure moments in American sports. All right, okay. Bypass them and go to PT Mitch Cassidy and we'll find you on your YouTube. Um, Thank you very much for that. I'm still in the process of this. My my partner's a better marketer than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've learned to kind of stick things on. I mean, what do we use, James? We use um, uh, Twitter, Threads, Mastodon, although not many people are on Mastodon, Instagram, you know, Facebook, stuff like that. We don't do much on YouTube, although we, we do stick some like reels on Facebook, little clips from our uh, from our pod, which which seem to get circulated quite widely. Actually, that's a good way that sticking a reel on Facebook. Um, I mean, you're, you're younger than me, James. You're, you're usually the one who tells me what to use on the socials. Is there something that we should be at, it should be uh, branching out to? Um, I think, like you say, those those Facebook videos seem to get kind of spread around a lot. Um, but yeah, I think just getting the word out on all the the kind of media channels you have, and then just grinding at it. Really, mm. it's it's there's no really other way for it. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a small but perfectly formed audience. Um, but you know, I I do get people reaching out and saying, "I watched that film on your recommendation. I really enjoyed it." Which is that's his, you know. You know, that's if, what you want. If it? we do one day overtake Joe Rogan and we're sitting there on piles of podcast money, that'll be great. But for now, it's enough that you know people are out there listening and going, yeah, I watched that thanks to you and I really enjoyed it. That's as good as it gets really. We thought so that we could tie our podcast to your channel, Mitch, that we would try and get you to do a couple of things in the style of our podcast. Now, for regular okay. listeners, you'll be aware that our features episode includes uh, a classic, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, a film that you've been meaning to see but haven't got round to because the philosophy is just watch it because there's so many times I've looked at it and gone, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to like that. Do I need to be in the right mood? Blah, 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 blah. Just watch the movie. And that's what the classic's for. The Hidden Gem, you've already encapsulated perfectly what Hidden Gem is. It's a film you want to tell everybody else about. We also talk about remakes we hate that we think were like a disgrace to the original <laughs> film, but also remakes that we'd like to see. Like a, a rem- Often a remake that we'd like to see is something that improves on the original, fixes a film that wasn't right first time. Mm-hmm. And you very kindly agreed to do a couple of entries in our feature categories. So um, starting with the classic, uh, Mitch, tell us about a classic movie you've been meaning to see. Uh, well, the classic movie that I'm, um, I've got on my radar, and I, I'm annoyed that it's sort of not uh, happened yet, is uh, Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. So, why why is that film like uh, on your radar as a classic, and and why haven't you watched it yet? I think because there's so many, sorry about that, there's so many references to it in in culture. I mean, the, a lot of songs have been um, made. Yeah, yeah, there's about it. Of, there's Springsteen of, and there's loads of. To- I remember Tom Petty's got a lyric, "A Rebel Without a Clue." There are like spoofs of. You've seen 
It's one of those films where you've seen 10 or 20 references or spoofs of it before you see the film itself, right? Yeah, I think Don McLean in American Pie has a line in there as well. And it's... It's, I think it was the first of its kind, if I'm, I might be wrong, but uh, if, like uh, we said before about coming of age, I think that's the first of its kind to, to be um, put into that category. Yeah, they always say that they, the teenagers were invented in the 1950s. There wasn't even a, people <laughs> weren't even aware of it as a thing before that, which is a simplification, but there's definitely, you, you wouldn't have half the films, teen films that you have now without that movie, right? That that's what I think. Anyway, if you look at a lot of the the big movies of the fifties, they were all very much sort of refined adults, and uh, you, you never saw really if if there was a, a younger person in there, they were kind of relegated to a small bit part, and that's the first one they've actually taken over. So and it, and it did obviously. You said it. We wouldn't have a lot of them now. I think you had like the last picture show and movies like that that followed some years later. That was similar. So I'm just, I want to see the one that started it really. And also, there's an awful lot of tragedy surrounding the the, the actors uh, in it. So it's just, it's fascinated me. And I don't know why I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that people still talk about James Dean now, I mean, he was a very good actor, but part of his reputation is the fact that he died after only making like three or four films. I mean, mm. I know he's before your time, James, but imagine if Leonardo DiCaprio had died tragically just after making Titanic. That's, you know, that's that's what that guy was. Yeah, I'm familiar with the James Dean thing. It was, I didn't realise how young he actually was. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a tragic story. It sort of reminds me of like River Phoenix and like what mm. they could have both gone on to do. Very, just very, very time. similar. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, so Mitch, what, 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 what's, what's, um, what's held you back from watching it up to now? I mean, because that that film's been available at the very least on like uh, video and DVD, or, or probably been shown on TV. For you know, for years and years, while you've been aware of it, what what's what's been holding you back? I, I hate to say this, but I don't actually know. <laughs> it's sort of um, I, I seem to have gone. Yeah, I, I, I need to watch that this week, and then things have happened, so I'm going, oh, well, I'll do it next week, and then it's it's sort of left my mind because I, I have a lot of projects on the go in my life, so everything is sort of trying. I'm trying to slot it into the gaps that I have free, and I just. I don't know. It's just not happened. But now you, when you asked me the question about a classic I haven't seen yet, that movie came to mind, and it suddenly hit me that you know I've been putting it off for too long. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I look, I know exactly where you're coming from. I mean, some of the early ones we did for the pod. I mean, for history, I, I started doing the pod by myself, and after one episode, James said, "Hey, I'll join in," and I got him in to do what we now call the big conversation, and it, it very quickly became apparent that these podcasts are much better when James is doing it with me. So we we do do the whole thing together now. And, you know, some of the early ones that we did, one of them was Punch Drunk Love, which I bought on DVD. And 15 years later, I still hadn't taken it out of the cellophane. So I I totally know where you're coming from. And that's why we do it for the pod. Because on the pod, we go... And there's, there's different ways we do it. Like our last, our last sort of set of features all had an apocalypse theme. So I looked on my long, long watch list and went, "Well, that's got an apocalypse theme. We're watching that." And because we're watching it for the pod, it just gets watched. And then you go, oh, and then you afterwards you always go, oh, "I'm so glad I watched that now. I wish I'd watched it sooner." And it, it is. There's quite a few things on the list. The same, the same for me. I, and you know, I don't know why I haven't got around to watching that. I mean, I, I don't, James, what, what? When, when you haven't seen a classic film, I know sometimes it's because people have bigged it up, but are there any other reasons why you would would take a while to get around to watching a classic that everyone loves? No, I think that would probably be the main reason for me. I think 
I'm quite reluctant to watch films ever since I watched Pulp Fiction after your recommendation and didn't think it was all that. I kind of think uh, this film's had 40, 50, 60 plus years of just everyone, you know, waxing lyrical over it. And I kind of think, am I actually going to enjoy that? Whereas I think a good example is that when I was about 18, I watched Rear Window, which is obviously a classic and everyone loved at the time, but I'd never heard of it. And then I watched it and thought that was brilliant. But no one had told me, you need to watch that. It's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. This bit's really good. That bit's really good. I just stuck it on and thought, well, that was really good. And didn't have any kind of preconception before I went into it. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens on the pod. I mean, I, on, for the classics, I tend to nominate something and you just go, right, I'm watching it. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to watch a trailer. I don't want to read a bunch of academic articles about why it's an important film. I just I just want to watch it, right? Because you, you don't want any interference, right? Because mm. I, think, I think the challenge was something like uh, Rebel Without a Cause. I say challenge. I mean, similarly, I mean, James, you and I watched The French Connection for the pod and we've watched, you know other like films from like an early era and when a film's been really influential because i think what you're going to find mitch with rebel without cause to to be honest i i haven't seen it either right but i I bet what you're going to find with rebel without a cause is it's going to remind you of about a thousand films you have seen that all stole shamelessly from the original movie so you almost have to put that out of your mind and go i'm just going to watch this movie for itself and try and try and picture what this would have been like for a bunch of teenagers who'd never seen it before. Like you said with Halloween, when Halloween came out, no one had actually made a big movie set on Halloween and then released it around Halloween and then aimed and filled the cast with the kind of people who watch those movies. Well, I think I I will have that in mind because obviously with the horror that I watch, I kind of, when I see practical effects used for the first time, I'm in awe of it because it's, you know, we've got all the stuff now because of that. So I think if I watch that movie, I'll pretty much just watch it like a teenager back in the 50s. Yeah, that's the best thing is try try and imagine what it would be like to be a teenager who'd never seen themselves up on screen before. Yeah, that's that's the best way to watch it. So yeah, look, my 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 my, my advice is just watch it because there's no there's no there's no substitute. But I know I know how hard it is. Otherwise, that w- it wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't be a thing on our podcast if we didn't have like 150 films <laughs> that we haven't got around to seeing. Yeah. Um. So the the next one is the hidden gem, which you've already articulated quite beautifully, actually, as to why that's a thing. Tell me about your hidden gem, your movie that you want to evangelize to everybody else that they should see. Well, it's. My second favourite movie of all time, and um, it is very much, like I mentioned, the sort of kitchen sink drama, Um, but it's from 1996, and it is brassed off. It stars Pete Postlethwaite, who's my favourite actor of all time, Um, Tara Fitzgerald, Ewan McGregor, Stephen Tompkinson, a whole host of... um, British actors you see all the time nowadays. Uh, seen them in Downton Abbey and things like that. You know, they just uh, this is sort of where they they did their early work, and it's a drama about a brass band in uh, the fictional town of Grimley, and they are also the the colliery band. So they're all working down the mines, and it's in the time when uh, Thatcher was closing down the pits, and they. Uh, Basically, because their lives are being sort of destroyed outside of the band, they feel like they can't play on. And the the guy that runs the band, the character that Pete plays, is he, he can think of nothing else but music, and he just wants to win this trophy and 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 
push through um, the the mess that they're all in and they can't do that and they don't share the same passion he has. And it's just beautiful, beautiful dialogue. I, I, I'm obviously I'm from the north, so I, I'm not. I'm, the, Lancashire and Yorkshire, yeah, there is a rivalry, but they are very similar in the way that we, we we're very similar in the way that we speak and the way that we act. Uh, a lot of the slang terms are the same, and it was just I, I felt very at home with the the film. But the performances are very powerful, and it's it's just a really nice movie. And I think it actually goes under the radar because it was made um, around the same time as Full Monty. Yeah, I, I was going to say actually. So, I mean, James and I, our heritage is from the northeast of England. It's a mm. long story why our accents don't give any indication of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, we come from mining family. You know, my my grandfather was a miner, um, and my dad grew up in a in a in a pit village uh, or a mining village for, for for part of his childhood. So, Brastoff. The first thing I thought when you said Brastoff, I'm like, well, that's not even Gem. I've heard of Brastoff. I know all about that. And it's mm. probably because I know loads, loads of people through the football and from Sunderland and stuff yeah. who are the same. And Brastoff was something we gravitated to because exactly what you described. That's a story that really resonates because I remember, yeah. you know, there was a, a you know, a, you know, you know, out of work miners had to find other work. Of you know, my, my dad was you know, putting money in the bucket, you know, when whenever he saw a bucket for the coal miners back there, the strike, it divided the whole country. So it was all over my radar. And I went, oh, well, why is, why is that a hidden gem then? But then I actually looked it up and it went, it got nominated for a couple of BAFTAs, but it was overshadowed the year that it came out by things like Secrets and Lies and The English Patient and, yes, yeah. and, and, and other kind of British films or films made by British people that came out that year. I looked up the box office. It cost two point eight million pounds to make and made three million at the box office. I'm sure it's done great on DVD and film and stuff over the years, but it was only modestly successful at the box office. And like you say, the British film about like the working class, you know, trying to get you know get past everything that happened to their communities in the eighties. It's always the Full Monty that people talk about, isn't it? Which is a yeah, much, that's it. It's a bit more of a lightweight film that the Full Monty. So it, it then when, when you said that, I went, oh yeah, brassed off. That is a hidden gem. That is that is something that people need need to hear about. I mean, what what why do you think it's not? Um, why do you think it's not more widely seen now? Why do you think it's not kind of you know on the radar as much? Um, I think. Well, like you said about everybody gravitates towards a Full Monty when they think of that kind of movie in that time. I think maybe because the Full Monty was more outrageous. Um, I think Brastoff was sort of it was grittier, but it didn't have it didn't have that sort of prick your ears up kind of feel that that Full Monty did. People were like, yeah. "Oh, what a bunch of strippers! We've got to watch this." But you wouldn't have that same feeling with with Brastoff. I think it was a year before it came out. Um, yeah, it didn't it was, it also have the marketing either. I think the yeah. Full Monty was marketed better. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the other thing was there's been a lot of reality shows and events and stuff, hasn't there? Like the real Full Monty or let's do a show about people, you know, reenacting the Full Monty kind of thing. Mm. And I think it's probably harder to reenact a, a brass band competition. Yeah, and just, I don't think brass bands were exactly uh, very fashionable at the time neither. No, no. Um, but I always saw the band as as sort of that was the gloss on the movie but the real core yeah. was the, the the fight for um the fight for the pit and yeah and the the, politi- the political side of it yeah yeah and it's got that tougher edge to it hasn't it i mean the, mm. the full monty does talk about the fact that the steelworks is shut but there isn't really much anger at why that's happened no it's more of a personal thing with robert yeah, yeah. carlyle's character yeah. he's struggling for work and everything and all of them are really but it seems to just be more there's not enough jobs around in that one rather than yeah yeah 
Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of, lot of scenes at the job centre, isn't there? Yeah. Ja- James, what's your history with Brastoff and the Full Monty? Uh, I've seen the Full Monty. I'd never heard of Brastoff until you messaged me saying we were going to talk about it on the pod. Well, so I, I've, I've, I've let you down by not mentioning it to you sooner, mate. I don't know why that, I didn't... That, the next, <laughs> no, I mean, it does. No, it's fine. Um, I think I've, it's I've, just a I've, bit I've, before my time and not yeah. really something I would have watched until I got to this age anyway. You know, you're not going to tell a... You know, a 12 year old or a 16 year old when all mm. these Avengers films are coming out that there's a film about a brass band from yeah. 1996 so it's one of those things that I think you have to kind of retrospectively go back and you know watch and yeah. look into um, yeah, yeah. Full Monty not really my thing <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I think it's there is something to be said and we kind of touched on it the kind of kitchen sink drama not, not so much the Full Monty because that is very kind of outrageous but the kind of British film I think there's something to be kind yeah. of said for that and the kind of the stories that we can tell because I feel like we're quite an understated country with like our stories. I feel like American films, it's, it falls in line with just the way their country is whereas films like The Full Monty and Brastoff seems very much the type of thing that you can sort of relate to a little bit more. Mm. Um, just the type of country we are and the type of type of people we are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's... Um, I've not managed to catch Brast off yet, but I'm liking the kind of description of it, and I'll give it a watch um, at some point when I get a kind of free couple of hours. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, so, Mitch, again, you, you've probably seen this, but I think if you like a British film, even though it's not, I think, anything like as gritty, I think it's another one that captures the spirit of the age. Are, are you a fan of Local Hero? I love Local Hero, and the um, the... The theme is my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of music of all time as well. So James and I have a complicated relationship with that theme tune because we're Sunderland fans. Oh and, God! And, 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 and Newcastle United use that as their theme. But, I uh, take it back. <laughs> the thing is, right? My my mum, uh, James, James's uh, grandmother on 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 on, on my side, uh, is from the west of Scotland, where a lot of that movie was filmed, mm. and a lot of that stuff in the village. We, we, we have a funny relationship with this film because. If you watch that film with my mum, she starts just pissing herself laughing at random things in the film. You're going, what, what, what's going on? And she's going, look, my cousin used to do that. Like the bit in Local Hero with the kid on the motorbike just keeps zooming up and down the road. Oh, yeah. Pain in the ass. My mum says someone in her village did that. And she just loves, my my mum's my one of those people who loves like, like recognising stuff on screen. Like there's yeah. a film called The Shipping News, which although it's set in Newfoundland... Oh, that's got Pete in it as well, Kevin yeah, Spacey. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not as good as the book, but my mum really enjoyed it because although it's Newfoundland and not Scotland, it's about like a remote like community like where she grew up. She grew up in, in a village called Malig and she likes all the quirky, the quirky stuff in it. So we got a complicated relationship with the music from Local Hero. But otherwise, I mean, I, I, I bloody love that film. I think it's so... Um, just spot on. Everything Bill Forsyth does has got this sort of lovely kind of uh, vibe to it. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole subgenre of like British films like that, more down the full Monty route because you know, Calendar Girls is is similar. The idea that there's a there's a gimmick and it's yeah. a bunch of people, a bunch of British people go and do a thing that like you know gets people's attention and it's like that's about like older people proving that they're still kind of you know, life in the old dog yet kind of thing. And, and the Fisherman's Friends was about, um, you know, the, the sea shanties, but it's about, you know, why people in Cornwall feel a bit left behind kind of thing. So I that's a, that's, that's a whole like, like subgenre now, isn't it? Where um, like Brit- British 
like, like James says, I think we're a little bit indirect about promoting ourselves. A lot of these films come out and sort of slightly, we, we take a bit of a sideways look at ourselves, don't we, mate? Yeah, uh, I think there's just, I don't know, I think there's just a kind of attitude. I think there's so many good, underappreciated British films. Like, this is England. I know they did th- oh, three yeah. TV seasons already, but the first films that they did was brilliant. And, you know, that film probably didn't make its money back, um, but tells a really rich and powerful story. And I think it's bizarre. I don't really understand the attitude towards it. I think maybe there's a kind of subconscious cringe towards it. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, yeah. we're, kind of, we're kind of looking at ourselves here. Um, but, like... I mean, the, ec- the economics of British films are so different. I, I'm Because I'm the sort of person who does this, I just looked it up. Um, this is England uh, did £5 million at the box office based on a £1.5 million budget. So maybe made, maybe broke even after yeah, you it, advertising and I stuff. mean, it'll probably have made its money back, especially because it, you know, it, it had a second life on film and everything. But, but again, it's like um, that's set back in the 80s. And I think it's just... Look, I'm I'm part of the problem here, right? Because culturally, I'm always looking across the pond. But it, that's that's another film where it's like, well, that's our life, that's our world, that's 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 our kind of country, like reflected back on us. Um, we probably need to get on board with it a bit more. And I, I certainly learned that lesson with Scrapper that I need to kind of look past the because these films come out as indie films. Do you know what I mean? And they rely on yeah. festivals and they rely on you know, being championed by someone as a smaller movie and you need to kind of look past the critics, which is why I think what you're going to do is really cool, um, Mitch, because if you're if you're arguing it for these films as, a, as, a, as an average movie fan, I think that'll resonate with people. It'll resonate with the kind of people that you'd like to start watching these films. Yeah, I mean, I think there's... It's like we, we write about Britain sort of underselling itself uh, with its movies. I mean, I, I, I know some really, really independent films that are basically just sort of at the bottom of the barrel because no one knows about them. Uh, like there's, I think there was one I watched not long back called Raining Stones. It had Ricky Tomlinson in yeah, it I've and, heard and, of that. Yeah, and yeah. Bruce Jones from Coronation Street in it, but that was really watchable. And then you go up to the higher end of the British spectrum, which is probably something like Last Orders with Bob Hoskins and Michael Caine and, they're all good in their own way. They're just, you know, it depends whereabouts you are in terms of how aware people are. Yeah, and I think I think people are making the movies and telling the stories, and I think it's for your point about marketing it. We need to market it. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, well, that's good. That's, that's a very good hidden gem, and one that surprised me initially, but then when I thought about it after you said it, Mitchell, I went, oh, yeah, God, that is a hidden gem, because although I've seen it... <laughs> You know, it's like it's you know I know all about it, but it's it's it needs other people to hear about it as well. Thank you for that. Now we're we're on the remake section. Now it was it was James's idea to start talking about the remakes we'd like to see. We only started doing that relatively recently, but a, a, a mainstay of our features from the very beginning has been ranting about remakes that we hate. Now, the, fir- the first thing we should say um, is, I think James and I are very much of the view that we, we, we go into every remake with our arms folded. Like, yes. why, why have you done this? What are you playing at? Yeah. And we, we wait to be convinced. And a couple of things have won us over, haven't they, mate? Yeah. Did we did we count Dread as a remake or did we count it as a reboot? <clears throat> that's that's a hard one because I think 
it's by the standards that we normally apply it is probably a remake because it's another movie based on the same character but it definitely it, it's more of a reboot because i think it goes it goes back to the original comics a lot more than the stallone judge dread did doesn't it yeah. but dread was definitely um a winner i mean we we talked about the new version of the karate kid and you actually said that you you, you honestly didn't mind it that much no, I think it was before Jaden Smith got really fucking annoying. Yeah. Um, and I think without Jackie Chan, it would have been a bit of a, a bit of a kind of wet fart. Um, yeah. But they could have made that film even better by not having Jaden Smith in it. Yeah. But yeah. I perfectly enjoyed. He was it. actually surprisingly good in it. He's certainly more more convincing with his martial arts skills than Ralph Macchio did in the original film. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, but, you, are you seeing the original Karate Kid, uh, Mitch? Oh, I've seen the original Karate Kid. Yeah, quite a while ago. I mean, I, I, when they brought the the reboot out, I was I was thinking of going back and watching all the originals again. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't happen, but yeah, I, I loved the original Karate Kid. Yeah. What about Cobra Kai? Do you watch Cobra Kai? On the, on the I haven't TV? seen it yet. So I have not. Um, all I'll say about this, I mean, James got me onto Cobra Kai, and I do enjoy it. But what I will say is this: Ralph Macchio's daughter in that in that show is every bit as shit at martial arts as he is so it's canon pardon so it's canon yeah it's absolutely canon (laughs) yeah you're right it's totally consistent she can't lift a leg above waist height (laughs) it's amazing um i think uh, the best bit is um johnny who has been doing nothing for about 38 years has no idea what a mobile phone is yeah, 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 and stuff like that. I think it's 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 pure cheese, and I think that they've done that on purpose because yeah, it's very likable, isn't it? The show, yeah, it's it's, it's good. But so w- with that preamble, uh, the remake that you hate is one we're familiar with. Uh, tell us about it, Mitch. Well, I've, I mentioned it. Um, I mentioned it often enough. I had the Elm Street, two thousand and ten reboot. I I don't hate many movies. I t- I tend to just sort of. I, I I look at the positives to them, and then if the, the negatives outweigh them, then I don't really like it. But I don't dislike movies uh, on an intense level. But I tend to really dislike them if they disrespect what the what came before, and that one does it in in abundance. I can't yeah, stand it. I mean, it's got a very problematic pedigree because it's part of a. I think it's Platinum Bay or, or whoever it Platinum Dunes. Um, it's yeah. Michael, Michael Bay set up Platinum Dunes, and if he he basically set out through that company to remake every classic horror movie between two thousand and two thousand and ten, they did every everything. They did Texas Chainsaw, they did Halloween, they oh, did uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. If if there was if there was a horror movie that people love made in the preceding decades, they'll have done a shit remake of it. Um, <laughs> now we we did it for the pod now. I, I, I would say um, the Nightmare on Elm Street. I've always found the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street a little bit more frightening than the films themselves. The idea mm-hmm. of being killed in your dreams is, is a, a fantastic idea. Yeah, this is probably slightly a, a, a bit of personal taste. Is that I found I found the way they portrayed Freddy a little bit cartoonish, and I, I don't know if it's like that early early on in the original nineteen eighty four film where he's got these long arms, which are quite clearly like like Robert England's mum made that costume for him the previous <laughs> night in a hurry because he didn't tell us soon enough that he needed a costume. Um, but Never thought of it that way before. <laughs> but, I mean, what what do you think they got wrong with the remake? What 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 what, what points did they miss? Or what oh, many God. points did they miss? 
Um, well, before I get onto the the, the character is himself. For a start, I really hoped this wasn't going to be full of CGI and jump scares. Yeah. And they immediately delivered that. I think they took a, a great scene out of the, the original where Freddy's behind the wall and he's sort of over the top of Nancy's bed and he sort of presses through the wall look, looking over her. They did that using, a, I think it was a sheet of it's something like rubber or something and the guy pressed his way through it and they used that as a practical effect and yeah. they just CGI'd the shit out of it in the 2010 one um, it was so unnecessary uh, they the the Nancy uh, the, the original Nancy was a powerful uh, woman that you know she, she really sort of comes of age in that movie and, and faces the fear in order to try and save everyone else whereas yeah. this what she just um, Rooney Mara didn't look like she wanted to be there which I think is inexcusable um, they also what they did with Kruger was they touched on the child abuse element way too well they didn't just touch on it they absolutely hammered it home where it was always just uh, subtly hinted here and there in the originals and I think people could sort of get behind the, the Freddy character and enjoy it more when he was uh, the original Freddy but as soon as you know that he's doing those kind of things and it's confirmed how can you how can you enjoy that as a, it's murky it's not necessary it's, um, it's too unpleasant to be entertaining, right? Yes, that's exactly it. And and I thought I felt sorry for Jackie O'Haley, who did a as as good a job as he could with a a, pr a pretty poor script. Yeah, I really a... I really liked him in Watchmen, which has many flaws, but not the way he portrayed Rorschach. So it, it is disappointing that they've not done more with him, right? Absolutely. He he he. You could tell he he was the one that was really putting his all into it. Um, yeah. But. It, and and they also threw in a really unnecessary, uh, he, he might be innocent kind of thing. <laughs> so, and, 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 and why would that be? Why would you do that? <laughs> and I can't. I, that movie is something I'm going to review at some point on the channel, and and I can get myself together about it and do it, <laughs> and do it in a more in a less sort of annoyed way. It sounds like it would make for a very angry watch along. Well, if you saw my review of a my quick review in the tier list of Final Destination Four, that's another one I don't I really can't stand either. No, I just don't no. like lazy, lazy filmmaking when you you've already got a good legacy behind you. Um, I hated uh, the likes of Halloween Resurrection is one of the worst things that's ever ever existed. Um, which, it's which, only about which is the one that's got Buster Rhymes in it. That's the one. Oh, that's dreadful. That film is honestly appalling. But it disrespects what's been before so badly, and it annoys me that it even exists and that it was allowed to to go out there. And yeah, yeah I, I do feel strongly about sort of pissing all over the something that was a great idea. And yeah, what what your views generally on Nightmare on Elm Street, James, as an idea? I didn't find it as scary as I thought I was going to find it scary. I found Freddy Krueger quite creepy more than anything. But I, I didn't feel it was, well, the original at least, the, I'm not going to lie, I'm I'm refusing to watch a remake of that film because you just know it's going to be shit. Yeah. You've confirmed all my suspicions, but the original, I didn't find it as scary. Obviously, Freddy Krueger is nightmare fuel. I mean, that's literally a shtick. But it's... I found it quite, you know how in horror films you're used to like kind of jumps and they're trying to shock you, but the the one that sticks out to me is when um you know he kills is it Johnny Depp through the bed? Yeah. yeah. I found that kind of like a like almost like falling through quicksand kind of panic 
as opposed to actual terror or fear. And I mm. quite like that about it. Um, I think he's obviously an iconic um, horror character, probably one of the most recognisable after Michael Myers and maybe Jason, or maybe he's tied with Jason. I think that says a lot about, you know, the legacy of Freddy Krueger. Um, Do you think that's lessened his impact, Mitch? I mean, the fact that Freddy Krueger became this kind of, you know, people started watching the sequels for Robert Englund's kind of amusing asides yeah. and stuff. Do you think that kind of makes him a little bit less frightening? 100%. In the first three, um, he is darker, especially the second one. The second one, he is he makes that movie is terrifying in the yeah. second one. Um, the makeup as well is, is something else. But the first three, he is dark, he is twisted. And then obviously with the success of three, they thought, well, we can make this a big commercial thing now. We can, we can make money off Freddy. And if you look from four, five, and six, he just becomes a parody of himself. Um, even the makeup gets less and less to the point where it looks like it looks like rubber. <clears throat> and I just, I'm, I'm annoyed in a way that that happened. Uh, they took away the fear factor, which I mean, if you look at it face value, he's a um, a child murderer, or to, he's, you know, he's a murderer that's that that punishes. Few, you know, children because of what their parents did, and he he's sick, he's twisted, he's an evil person. So to turn him into some sort of celebrity was ludicrous, and I I always sort of resent them for doing that a little bit. I really don't like uh, four and five. I have a soft spot slightly for six because it was the first VHS my parents ever got me uh-huh. of a horror. And I think there are elements in that, like a, the childless town, because no one wants to have kids anymore because they're afraid he'll get them. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. But yeah, I, I don't like the the comedy Freddy because I, the only person that should find Freddy funny is Freddy. Yeah, yeah. Now, everything you've said, everything you kind of said about remakes generally and all that, um, I was slightly surprised by your suggestion for this next category. So this is where we say, nominate a remake that you'd like to see done. Uh, and often that's because you want to fix the original film. Not always the case, because I mean, that one of the high watermarks of like horror remakes is John Carpenter's The Thing. The original film, mm. The Thing, is perfectly good. It's just that by 1982, there was more you could do with that story and John Carpenter yeah, had a vision. Absolutely. So it's not always a bad film that gets a great remake. But I was slightly su- surprised after everything we've just been talking about, that your what your suggestion was going to be for uh, for the remake that you'd like to see. So so take us through it. I wanted to right the wrongs of 2010's Elm Street. Um, really? Really? Yeah. You, you, you want to do a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, but you Well, won't. not as such. I'm more interested, and I know, right, it, when it comes to characters and lore and things like that, you don't want to over-explain things. Sometimes things are better as a mystery. I think yeah. you, it's better to, and sometimes you don't need to know why. That's where the fear comes from sometimes. Yeah. Like, why would this happen? Well, yeah. nobody knows. That's great. But I am interested in a prequel to Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's funny, actually. I've just um, done a, a video interview, which is going out soon, of the uh, with a guy that created a fan movie on YouTube called The Last Dream of Detective Coleman. And it was basically the, the detective that allowed Kruger to go free. And... Um, the guy that he obviously plays Freddy uh, pre um, pre death, so he's not in makeup or anything. He is Freddy the man, and I think that as a full movie with the right cast and the right sort of respect given would be fascinating. 
I really do. I think that, so that's what, what I'd like to see. So what you're actually doing is you're taking that element of the, the 2010 film where they did touch on the history of Freddy Krueger and, you, and you, you're talking about remaking that as a better movie. Well, I certainly wouldn't use their premise that they went with. I would, I would take the original that had a lot of mystery surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they did touch upon it in the later sequels about him being the son of a hundred maniacs and, and, and stuff like that, which I thought was interesting. I would go with what they've done before. I would discard the 2010 one completely and, and go back to, to the basics. And I think seeing Freddy as the man seeing a sort of a bit of a trial in between and then him going free and the parents continue to see what he's doing and they can't, they feel helpless. And then they go, we're going to, we need to be vigilantes and we need to get rid of him. I think that would be a fascinating movie. Would you have the, the concept of people being killed in their dreams in this story? That's the only thing because that was such a a, a draw for for the original the fact that it was in your dreams and you've no real control in your dreams and the only way you can try and stop him is by trying to gain some control. I think that was what was great about the original was that you yeah. you can't say don't go up the stairs, don't go out the door because you're dreaming, um, and you know he's going to be everywhere in the dream. So you you sort of you, you're helpless really. And I just to take that out of the film, you, you have to have a really strong it has to be different. It has to be different to the nightmare, the original nightmare film. It has to be about the man. It has to be about the the people suffering. I think what he did with the, the that fan movie I mentioned was it was a dream. Uh, the, the the detective was dreaming about all the the, oh, the mistakes he'd made. Yeah. So you can still have the dream element in there. He's just not a dream demon in it. He's just it's yeah. psychologically affecting people, and that's why they're having dreams. Because it can be hard to break away from that. I mean, you know, m- most people's criticisms of Prometheus, although they're not all of them, the bit where um, Charlie Theron can't run sideways is nothing to do with um, with you know you know being forced back into canon. But a lot of the criticisms of Prometheus are to do with Ridley Scott having his arm twisted to put as much alien stuff into it as possible. Um, mm. And I, I remember I was I was reading up about um, The Exorcist 3. I don't know if you've seen The Exorcist 3. Yes. yes it's, got, it's got one or possibly two of the best jump scares ever yes. in that movie. But um, did you know that there was a point where it was going to be directed by John Carpenter? I don't think I did know that. You see, one of the the other feature that we talked about, which I didn't I didn't ask you to do for this because it, it often requires a lot of like reading and prep, and and it's yeah. my, it's my little geeky thing. Sort of James tolerates this. Um, is the one that got away where we talk about films that nearly got made and didn't. And I was reading mm-hmm. up about that. It's something we're probably going to do at some point. But a little preview is is that William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original novel, ended up directing Exorcist Three because he wanted to so he was going to turn down every director the studio kind of put forward to him but he had a meeting with John Carpenter because uh, William Peter Blatty had written a novel called Legion which ignored Exorcist 2 and was set 15 years after the original and was talking about what's happened to these characters since then you know Father Karras the cop is you know he's yeah. the, uh, the the other priest and so on and it obviously it's it's a sequel to The Exorcist because it concerns people from the original story, but he's gone and taken a different direction. And John Carpenter was saying to him, you are going to need to have an exorcism in this because it's The Exorcist. It's a sequel to The Exorcist. It's what everybody wants. You're going to have to have an exorcism in it. And John Carpenter proposed rewriting the script so that that's what it was leading up to. And William Peter Blatty held his ground and said no. And John Carpenter said, look, I like you, William. Good luck. Um, But 
it's clear that I've got a different idea of making the film. You should direct this, you know, go for it, right? What happened was the studio twisted William Peter Blatty's arm and made him have an exorcism in the final act. But they mm. made him made him do that after he'd filmed a whole fucking different movie. So they basically crowbarred in the character who was going to come and do the exorcism and then crowbarred in the exorcism scene at the end, which is why Nicole Williamson, who plays the um, the exorcist, is like, who the fuck's this guy? And the 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 danger the, the interesting thing for you would be that, that that remake that you want to make, you're probably going to have to find a way. Imagine yourself producing the movie. You're going to have to find a way to appease the people who want a dream demon in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... That that's the thing. It's like you'd want people to understand why you were creating it and 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 its purpose, but you know that there would be a lot of people that just want to see him doing what he used to do. Yeah, uh, I don't know how you could shoe that shoehorn that in. Maybe that's just a personal thing. I mean, I would be over the moon if they made a prequel that didn't involve anything like that as such. But that's just my personal preference, and I suppose you've got to go where the money is. Fancy casting young Freddy. Who plays young Freddy out of this current crop of actors these days? Oh, God knows. I mean, to be honest, if you if you saw the guy I interviewed this week, Paul Bailey, you'd say him. It's phenomenal what oh, he does. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he even does like a makeup job on his face to make himself look more like Robert Englund. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's it's fascinating. And, and he, I've seen him play uh, makeup Freddy, and it, it's, there's no difference. It's absolutely incredible what he comes up with. Um, so I would, I would, if I was a director, I'd just bring him out of nowhere and say, you're doing it, <laughs> make so, him a star, but it's not speak, as easy as that. <laughs> sp- speaking of directors, who are the horror directors that inspire you at the moment that you would entrust with your with your idea for this movie? Oh, who, who, God, who would you the, consider? At the moment? Uh, uh, are you a Jordan Peele guy, an Ariasta guy, any of those? I like to get out. Um I would probably trust him to create real suspense, uh, Jordan Peele. I think he 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 he's very good with the psychological horror. Yeah. Um. So I would I would say that he has that I like psychological horror, and yeah. um, that's probably my, it's probably my favorite kind of horror. You wouldn't think it with having Nightmare as my my favorite one, but certainly. Um, like like I said, Texas scares me the most, and I think most of that is psych- psychological. Yeah, it's it's this very jittery. It, it's obviously everyone talks about the gore, but anyone who watches Ch- Chainsaw now is probably surprised at how how it's not nearly as gory as people think. No, because not it's at all, all about it's all about that kind of horrible jittery feeling of those people being stuck there, isn't it? Yeah, there's no music in it. It's just it's quiet. It's like it's a, it's almost you feel like a snuff film sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I I like things that mess with your head like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. But I probably would go with with Peel because of his ability to 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 mess with your head. Because I think it, ultimately every horror is 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 a psychological journey. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't if it doesn't get in your head, it's not going to last, right? Exactly. I think um, that's that's what I'd look for anyway. Well, that's very interesting, and thank you very much for all the work you put into those those recommended categories, Mitch. It's nice to see that played back to us. Um, so, listen, Mitch, it's been absolutely great having you on. We think uh, we, we like you, uh, you know, represent the average moviegoer, probably in a slightly different way, in a more sort of nerdy way. But it's great <laughs> to see someone else reaching out to that. Um, what what are your thoughts on like doing a YouTube channel and stuff like that, James? What 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 would you uh, what would you be looking for like for say you're the average movie watcher? What would you be looking for for the for the future? Hmm. 
I suppose it's hard because if you find your audience that is obviously out there to just kind of see you do these kind of interviews with people and show, for example, someone's makeup transformation, I think that audience is there. But I think the problem with like YouTube is that it's so you know diluted, and I feel like there's just people don't have the attention span to have you know seeing someone do an amazing transformation of their face over you know the space of an hour that you know they want to see stuff like on tiktok and tiktok is what 30 seconds before yeah. people lose interest so it, it is really hard to kind of get the uh it's hard but i would obviously watch that I, I love the idea of someone managing to make themselves look like another person but younger or whatever that i find that fascinating mm-hmm. but it's oh i don't know i would watch it and i hope other people would be interested in watching it as well that's what that's what i'd say I think with TikTok, it, it it can be a good advertisement for the YouTube channel. If you show them a small clip of something, they go, I want to hear more of that. Well, click on the link and you can watch the whole video. That's how I use it anyway. Yeah, we're, we're not, not on TikTok, but we use like Facebook Reels and Instagram sort of short videos for the same mm. purpose. Maybe we should be doing TikTok as well. But uh, yeah, listen, Mitch, it sounds really cool what you're doing. It's going to be great. I'm going to keep an eye out for you. You're on my feed, so you know your videos are just going to land on my screen very best of luck with it um james any final closing thoughts no i like the sound of the stuff that you're um you're putting out man i like it it's it's so hard to find stuff that's different um in today's kind of social media podcasting world but you know that you've just started out and you've already described something that i'm quite interested in so no i, I like i like the sound of it and hope it i hope it goes well Thank well, you very much. Well, brilliant. Look, we're, we're going to put this out for people to listen to. Um, tune in to, to Primetime Mitch, wherever you find it. Uh, and uh, best of luck with it. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, it's been great, mate. Thanks very much for listening to this special episode of Double Reel. We have other special episodes lined up soon, so look out for those. The concluding part of this month's regular episode will be out in a few days, and the next issue of Double Reel will start landing in your feeds from October 25th. Once again, I'd like to thank my co-host James Adamson, our special guest Primetime Mitch, and of course Audacity and Podbean for helping us with production and hosting. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod. Look forward to speaking with you again next time. Until then, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media.